It is such a privilege to be with you today. And uh, a little bit about, about us, about EFCA West. Um, we, as Darren said, part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. Many of you are familiar with that. But our district spans about seven states. There's a map you can see on the screen that uh, shows our territory. And we have about 200 congregations or so that we're able to serve. And I want to show you a picture of our team. That the team that I get to work with, and you'll see him up there. Actually, that's my family. That's my real team right there. That's my family. Um, go back to the family slide real quick. I might, I might as well show. So th- this is the best part of my life is my family. I live in Arizona. Um, the people on the end, they didn't photobomb the picture. Those are my parents, but we're, we're super close with them. And, uh, but in any case, but here is the team I get to work with at EFCA West. And I love that picture. Because oftentimes when you think of fun people, denominational workers don't come to mind, right? I mean, you're more likely to think of a mortician than you are a denominational worker who's fun. But we have a great time together. And uh, I love these people. And people often wonder, well, what do you guys even do, you denominational people? And really, there's, there's three things. I mean, I would say more than anything else, we're not the church, but we help the church. And we help the church in three specific areas. First of all, we help the church build and strengthen leaders. And so I'll show you a photo here. We've been taking groups of pastors to Hume Lake. And you might recognize the guy in the hat. Uh, He's on staff here, John Schaefer. John has been helping to organize these trips and run the logistics, but we've been taking pastors up to Hume to encourage them and to to breathe life into them and to help build leadership and spiritual leadership and, and into their souls. And so we do that. That's the first thing we do is we build and strengthen leaders. The second thing we do is we help churches plant new churches. And so here's an example. This is Gospel City Church. This was planted last September in the heart of Long Beach. And we were there for the, the, um, the, the launch service. They're doing great. They're being coached by our team and resourced by, by us. And it's been awesome to see that church and, and many others that we are planting. And the third thing we do is we help churches reach all the people around them. You know, we have a lot of changing demographics all over our district. Here's a picture of about 15 Spanish-speaking church planters and pastors. We call it our Young Latinos Summit. And they've come into our district. We are learning from them as well as working with them, resourcing them, and helping them help each other start churches. The bivocational, bicultural, bilingual. And it's just so exciting to be a part of that. And I want to say thank you to so many of you who over the many years have supported this ministry. Because you've helped us do what we hope to see, which is to raise up a new generation of pastors and leaders who can shepherd and lead a new generation of churches that will reach a new generation of people who desperately need to find their way home. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is how to get home. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We just looked at this a second ago, but in this passage, the writer's going through a list of characters that would have been very familiar to the Jewish Christians who would be hearing this um, the, 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 the letter, and they're hearing all about these heroes like Abel from Cain and Abel and, and Noah and, uh, and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah. And they all had something in common that God had called them from where they were, called them out of where they were and set them on a journey that would lead them to a better place, a place that he had prepared for them. 
And what they all had in common was that for some crazy reason, they believed him. And so they went and they didn't know where they were going. But as he led them, what he was doing was leading them on a journey that would ultimately take them home. And isn't that the human experience, right? I mean, aren't we all just trying to find our way home? And maybe that's where you are right now in your life, you know? And you're out there, far away from where you thought you'd be. If you and I were to really talk, you might say, you know, Tim, I've been trying to, I've been spending my whole life just trying to find my way home. And I would know what you'd mean. Because you don't mean going back to the place that you came from. You mean trying to find the place where you belong. The place that you were made for. And sometimes you, you kind of catch glimpses of it, right? Like in a, you might hear it in a song or, or see it in a sunset or experience it in a conversation, but then it just kind of vanishes. And you're like, ah, oh, that was so great. But if that's you today, if you feel kind of like a refugee, if you feel a little out of place, well, you're in good company. Because as the writer of Hebrews is, is talking about this passage, there are three, three, I guess, decisions that we need to make three realities that we need to embrace, three kind of positions that we need to hold in our life that we need to embrace if we're ever going to make it home. And they're found in this passage and I'm going to go through them quickly. But if we're going to get home, the first thing that we can identify is that if I'm ever going to make it, I've got to first acknowledge that I don't belong here. So if you look at verse 13, once again, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And check this out, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And can I ask you, have, have you come to terms with, have you acknowledged that you're an exile, that you're a stranger on this planet, that the more you grow in your faith and the more you go on your journey, you're just not going to fit here like you once thought that you did. So I live in Arizona and there's a lot of people moving to Arizona. A lot of you guys are moving to Arizona. And we love that you're coming out. I mean, not all of you, I guess, but, but, uh, but it's good to have a lot of you come out. And, and what's very common, because people come from all over the country to Arizona, it's very common to see on the back of a car window, the outline of a state like Minnesota or, you know, California or whatever. And in the middle, there's a little heart or it just says home. And what there's people are trying to say is that, yeah, I may be here in Arizona. My body may be here, but my heart is back in Wisconsin or Washington or wherever. That's where my heart is. And I think that's kind of what he's trying to say here is that, yeah, I may be here, but, but my heart is there. My heart is the, where the place God has prepared for me. And there's this idea that, that we kind of outgrow this earth the way a child outgrows their toys. You can't keep giving the child the same toys anymore because it just doesn't fit and the clothes don't fit. But the problem is, you know, it says without faith, it is impossible to please God. And anyone that comes to him must believe he exists. And part of that is without faith, it is impossible to see beyond, to recognize that there is a place that he has prepared for us that is so much better than now. And so when we don't know that, what we tend to do is we go back to the same toys and we go back to the same people and the same stuff and the same expectations, but they don't do it for us anymore. And we don't know 
why. And it begins to get frustrating for us. And so we try to squeeze everything out of life that we can, but it's of no use because you weren't made for this life. And we have to get serious about that. The last several years have taught us how fragile life is. And so have you come to terms with and acknowledge that you're kind of an alien and a stranger here. It's one of the reasons why we have to always show mercy to those who are, you know, immigrants here. Because they don't know the language. They don't know the culture. They're out of step. And it's so easy to take advantage of people like that. And I think God's going, when you see people like that, that's you. That's you. You should be a little out of step here. Because you're not, this isn't your home. And so on the heels of that, then the second thing that we, the second decision that we have to make is not only to, to acknowledge that I don't belong here, but I've got to make it clear that I seek a heavenly homeland. Make it clear. Look at verse 14. For people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. I love that phrase, better country. So as was said here a few minutes ago, here comes Easter, right? And it's a big deal. This is, this is our, the Super Bowl for Christians, right? This is the big day. So you've got to be thinking about, I mean, people will come to church on Easter Sunday. So who can we invite to come here and see what, what God has for them? And while I love Easter, in some senses, it's kind of a bummer because it's like we reserve one day where we really go all out about the resurrection, you know? But the resurrection is everything. I mean, it says in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Not just a new heaven, but a new earth. So, I, And I don't know that we really live in the, the reality of that someday there will be a new earth that will require for us a resurrection body. We are resurrection people. That's what we're about. Yes, we want to talk about the cross and forgiveness and all that kind of stuff. But the resurrection is huge. That's, that's, that's what we're supposed to be about. And I love it. I wonder if we can have the, the same conviction that Job did far before Jesus when he said this, when he said, for I know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. Isn't that amazing? I know that my Redeemer lives in my flesh. I will see God. Are you seeking? Is it clear by how you live and by the whole trajectory of your life, by the things that animate you, that you're seeking a heavenly homeland, a better country? Or are you convinced that you already live in one? So for the record, I, I believe that this country is the greatest country in the history of the world. I just do. You can't convince me otherwise. I love the United States of America. I have the privilege of serving along as a district superintendent. I serve as a chaplain in the United States Air Force Reserve. And I love wearing the uniform of this country. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Okay, it is. But I think with that being said, Sometimes some of us have confused the United States of America with our homeland. And it's not. It's where we've been sent. 
to proclaim the kingdom of God. It is an assignment. It is a place that God has ordained for us to live. But it's not our homeland. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. See, there's the resurrection component again, by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And I I look at a verse like that and I ask myself, you know, do I live as though that's actually really true? I think one of the reasons why we've had so much contentiousness in the church, so much political division is because we've elevated politics to the level of faith. We've elevated to the, to the level of passion that should be reserved for the passion of knowing that our citizenship is in heaven and someday we will be transformed to be like our savior. There's nothing better than that. But I think we get those, these things confused and I think it's caused a lot of political, a lot of contentiousness in our politics. So let me ask you honestly, can I just ask you, if you had to choose What would you do? Would you rather convert someone to Jesus or to to your political party? Because they're not the same thing. They're not. And if you want to know the answer to that question, just check out your social media feed. Or look at the emails that you forward and the conversations that you have and the stuff that gets you all animated. And listen, my friends, politics has its place and it's important. It is. But when we we don't have a well-developed conviction about, about our homeland, about the journey God's taking us on and the future resurrection and all of that, then we end up moving politics way up here. And guess what? There's no one left to speak for Jesus. And there's something about Christians staying in our lane, right? We got to stay in our lane because if there's no one to advocate for Jesus, if we don't, who will? If we're all amped up and all these other things going on, we've forgotten about where we're headed or the responsibility to make it known. And so what we want to do is we want to acknowledge that we don't belong here. Come to that that sober realization that, that this earth isn't fitting us like it used to, and we can't expect it to. And then we want to make it clear by how we live that, just like it says that we're seeking, just like they did, just like these heroes did, they were seeking a homeland, a heavenly homeland. And as we do that, then we see that The final thing that we see in this passage is that we can finally then anticipate unimaginable reward. Anticipate unimaginable reward. Look at what it says. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, why would God be ashamed, by the way? It says he's not ashamed to be called their God. Why why would he be ashamed? Well, the reason why is people aren't usually proud of those that the society doesn't celebrate, you know? Like no one puts a bumper sticker on their car that says, my child did not make the football team, right? My kid got straight C's. Like you don't put that on your car. But the reality is for us is if we live this way, we can expect to be misunderstood and overlooked and uncelebrated in our lives. If you're an alien and a stranger in this earth, you're going to confuse people sometimes. I don't understand. Why, they just, what, what's going, why would they make that decision? Why would they turn down all of that? And people are just going to, they might not love you or hate you. They just may ignore you. 
You may not get the job that you wanted because you weren't willing to do what needed to be done because that's not who you are. But God is proud of his vagabond children. And he says, that's my kid. That's my kid. No one knows what she has been through. No one knows what she's had to give up to follow me. No one knows the the cries in the middle of the night and the loneliness and the fear and the doubt, but she followed anyway. That's my kid and I'm proud of my kid. No one knows what he's been through, the things that he's given up to follow me and the times that he's wrestled, but he's still there. That's my kid. I'm proud of my kid. And he prepares for them a city. Now, when you hear city, don't, don't think urban versus rural. Think, think um, security versus insecurity. Because when you were a nomad back at that time, if you didn't live in a city, you were always susceptible to attack. You're always vulnerable. You didn't have an identity. You, 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 there was, it was a very difficult, harrowing kind of thing to be, to be out, you know, and always on the run from things. But in a city, there was walls. And in a, in a city, there's identity, there's permanence, there's, there's peace. You can rest. You know, one of the most, my favorite passages in the Bible that, that pre-envisions what this place is like, this heaven that God is preparing for us where the Messiah will rule, is in Micah chapter 4.4. 4. It says, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. NIV says their own vine, you know, like it's theirs. And no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. And I love that because the day is coming when you'll no longer have to look over your shoulder, wonder who's out to get you. In LA, they're saying, don't wear jewelry because you're going to get robbed. It's a dangerous time, dangerous people. And for the first time in your life, you'll be able to sit back against a tree in the shade, the cool breeze. And finally, after all these years, you can rest. And I want to see you there someday. I want to be able to meet you there someday. And say that we made it. I understand that you might be sitting here today saying, you know, Tim, that's great. Thanks for telling me that someday, you know, there's this place that God's prepared for me. But man, right now, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. I can't even think about that because I'm in such a difficult spot. What do I do? What do I do in the here and now? So I have a friend named Mike and uh, Mike calls me up one day and says, Hey, Tim, I have an idea. Let's run an ultra marathon. I'm like, what? You know, with friends like that, right? I mean, you know, so he has this idea and we said, fine. Okay, so fine. So we, we, we go out to Utah and we run this, we run this race. And it's, it's what we did was the, it was the entry level ultra marathons, you know, it was a 50 K is what the distance was. Now, lest that sounds impressive to you, what we learned was that at this race, not only was there a 50 K, which is 31 miles, but there's also a hundred K, 
which is 62 miles, and a 100 miler, which is 100 miles. So we go and we run this race and we get all done. And I'm just, I'm dead and delirious and whatever. And we go back to the hotel. Well, the next morning, I've got to go back to the finish line to pick up a, a bag that I had left at one of the aid stations. And so we go back to the finish line and we see the hundred milers are still coming across. And these hundred milers have been running for 30 hours. 30 hours. And I see this woman come across the finish line. She, and I'm not kidding. She had to be like at least 65 years old. She looked like a piece of beef jerky, you know, <laughs> with shorts and a top. And I don't mean that bad, you know, you're like, how do you mean that good? But, but, um, but you know, she's all sinewy and stuff, right? And I see her and I go over to her and I say, you just ran a hundred miles. Like, congratulations. Like, like, that's an amazing accomplishment. So I was amazed by that. And she says, well, thank you. But uh, I almost didn't make it. See, I was 80 miles in and I was in the medical tent. I was done. I had nothing left. I was beyond exhausted. And I was going to pull myself from the race. And right before I did, all of a sudden, this guy comes over and says, come with me. So I went. And she made it. And she finished. Some of you are 80 miles in. At least it feels like that. And you're in the tent. And you're done. These last two years have beat you up far more than you'd care to admit. And you're going, you know, God, I never thought the journey would be this long. I never thought it would be this hard. I never felt so shattered in all my life. And you're thinking about pulling yourself from the race and giving up all hope. And if you've been there and if you're there, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. But if that's you today, I'm here to tell you that right as you're about to give up all hope, God became man. Like the creator of the universe became one of us and took on flesh and blood. And right now, he's coming over to you. He knows you're tired. He knows you're broken. He knows things aren't turning out the way he thought that they would. But with a hand on your shoulder, he's just simply saying, come with me. We're going to finish this. We can make it home. He's not asking you to be perfect. I mean, look at you. You can't be perfect. But he's asking you to follow just to go. Because if you go, you'll finish. If you follow, he will lead you home. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for these beautiful men and women that 
make up this bride of Christ. And if we were to talk to each person individually, the stories that we would hear would be heartbreaking on so many levels. Fear, fatigue, disappointment, loss, and on top of that anger and everything else that we've been surrounded by. But I pray, God, if there's anyone in here who's in that spot, who just, who needs to sense your spirit right now and feel the comfort of your spirit, that they would just reach out to you and say, God, it's been hard, but I, I believe that you can lead me home. And I'll follow, I'll take one more step. And God, that you would make yourself so evidently clear to them. And that you would guide them and show them the place where you were leading them. God, we confess that on our own, we can't do it. But yet we believe and we trust. And for those in here who don't, maybe have never placed their faith in you, that today they would say, God, I'm done playing games. I'm done pretending I'm a good person. I'm done thinking I can do this on my own. I need you. I want to surrender my life to you today. And trust that if I follow you, you will lead me to where you made me to be. Thank you for that. And again, thank you for these men and women. And for the gospel of truth. In Jesus' name. Amen.